Hey everybody, welcome again to New Anthem Church, especially want to welcome you guests. If this is your first time with us, I hope you find your time enjoyable and meaningful. Got a couple great emails this week too, people watching online, so if you're watching online, uh, special welcome to you as well. We're getting ready to close out this series that we've been in called What Happens to You When You Die. And normally when I prepare a message, I ask myself two questions. I just pray before God. I say, God, what do you want your people to know? What do you want them to do? At any time we start anything, God, what do you want your people to know? What do you want them to do? Well, how many of you realize that this message series isn't super conducive to the doing part, right? I, mean, what do I, I don't want you to die, right? I mean, what do you want them to do? What do you want? So uh, anyway, I believe that this has been a lot of just information, a lot of teaching this whole series, and that's fine, but I was kind of always taught that information without application will never leave to transformation, and that God's goal for your life is to transform you into the image of of his son. And so we've been heavy on the information part. I hope it's been helpful to you. We've talked about uh, eternity being a reality. We've talked about hell. We've talked about heaven. But today we're going to get deep into some application piece because I want to talk about how you can leave a legacy on earth. Anytime I think anybody makes a decision, they're trying to make that decision based on what's going to happen in their future. And I want to set you guys up for some success in order to leave a positive legacy here on earth. Because what I know and what should be apparent to all of us is that one day, hopefully a long time from now, but one day we're all going to die. And what are they going to say at your funeral? Hopefully something positive. Hopefully it's about something, how you left a legacy here on earth. You might disagree with me on what happens to you when you die, but you can't disagree on the fact that one day you will. So even if you're here and not a Christian, that's fine. I'm glad you're here. But I think what is going to go talking about how to leave a legacy on earth, it's going to be applicable to you, even though you're not a Christian. Okay. Now, uh, I love the idea that you're living a story. Has anybody really thought about that? That every single day, your life is a story. John Eldridge says it this way in his book, Epic. He writes, life, you'll notice, is a story. Life doesn't come to us like a math problem. It comes to us the way that a story does, scene by scene. You wake up, what will happen next? You don't get to know. You have to enter in. You take the journey as it comes, the sun might be shining, there might be a tornado, your friends might call and invite you out, but you might lose your job. Life unfolds like a drama. Each day has a beginning and an end. There are all sorts of characters, all sorts of settings. Sometimes it seems like a tragedy, sometimes like a comedy. Most of it feels like a soap opera. Amen, somebody. But whatever happens, it's a story through and through. Now, here's my question to you. Is your story worth telling? Because we're all living in the story. I would contend we're all caught up in the greatest story ever being told, the story that the God of the universe came down out of heaven in order to dwell among his people, made a way for them to get into a relationship with him despite the fact that we rebelled against him in sin, Am I preaching up here this morning? This is the greatest 
story. I need somebody to help me preach this because this is the greatest story ever being told. That God died for your sins in order for you to live forever with Him. That's the beginning and the end. You got a little narrative. You got a couple paragraphs in the midst of that book. My question is, is your book, is your story, is it worth reading? I hope so. hope you have the most wonderful life imaginable, but if you're not sure, then today is for you. Or if you might need a fresh start, today is for you. I want to help you discover some ways to leave a legacy here on earth and make your story worth repeating. Before we can do that, I've got a couple things that we need to clarify and frame in before we get going. So on your way in, you should have received some message notes. I invite you to pull those out. You might jot this down. Your eternal compensation is the consummation of how you behave on earth. Your eternal compensation, what you're going to get paid, is the consummation of how you behave on earth. And here's what I mean. How you act on this earth, will one day be rewarded in heaven. All the things that you do right now are making a difference somewhere. Some of the things could be making a difference in your present life, but more importantly, some of them are making a difference for what you'll experience in heaven. I'm going to show you this a couple different places in Scripture. If you brought a Bible, go ahead and grab it. You need to see that I am not making any of this up. Jesus teaches us this in Scripture. Uh, It's going to be found in the book of Matthew. So Matthew is towards the back of your Bible. If you're new to the whole Bible thing, just look for some guys' names. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John is how it goes. It's the New Testament. You want the big number six. Okay, this is Jesus speaking. Matthew 6, 19 reads, Don't store up treasures on earth. Moths and rust can destroy them, and thieves can break in and steal them. Instead, store up your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy them, and thieves cannot break in and steal them. How do we do that, Jesus? Look at verse 21. Your heart will always be where your treasure is. In other words, it's based on your heart. It's based on your behavior. That's what Jesus is meaning when he says your heart. He's talking about your motivations. Like if your heart is set on earthly things, that's what you're going to treasure you're going to go after those types of things. But if your heart and your motivations are set on godly things, then that's how you're going to act. See the difference? One's based on what you can purchase and experience. One is based on how you're going to act and respond in life. Jesus is calling us to respond in godly ways. We'll dig into that deeper in a second. But turn a couple more pages to your right. Find Matthew 16. Matthew 16, Jesus picks up on this idea of your behavior matters in heaven. Matthew 16, 27, he says, For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward, circle star, underline, highlight, reward each person according to what they have done. It's interesting. There are rewards based on your actions. Apparently, here on earth, how you behave, it gets noticed in heaven and rewarded accordingly. Now, huge concept. Pay attention. This is not talking about salvation. 
You cannot earn your salvation. It's anti-gospel, anti-religion, anti-everything Jesus preaches and teaches. So you can't hear me say that. This is post-salvation, these rewards. Okay, Ephesians 2.8 says, You are saved by faith in God who treats us much better than we deserve. This is God's gift to you and not anything you have done on your own. It isn't something you have earned, so there is nothing you can brag about. Romans 5.17 will go on. God has been so kind to us and he has accepted us. Why? Because of Jesus. That's why you're accepted. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm accepted because of Jesus. It's monumentally important that you understand that principle. Not just today, but every day, because every day I can promise you, you're going to screw something up. And you're going to feel unaccepted. But why are you accepted? Because of Jesus. It's not based on what you do. It's based on what he did for you. But there are some awards for how you behave. But you have to understand any time you mess up, that should push you back towards God and back towards Jesus because he accepts you no matter what. When God looks down, if you're a Christian, he sees you as he sees Jesus. His Holy Spirit is living inside of you. So what is Jesus talking about then if he's talking about rewards? It's two things. There are two types of judgment described in your Bible. There's a great white throne judgment. It's where people who have placed their hope and faith in Jesus, they go into heaven. And then there's what's called the judgment seat of Christ. Some people call this the bema. I put it in your notes. It's fine. Now, the first one, again, you're rewarded in heaven. It has nothing to do with how you behave. It's all about God's grace for you and love for you. It's that desiring no one should perish, God made a way for you to live with him forever through Jesus. Second one, though, it's about being rewarded after you're already in heaven. Let's look at both of these. You're in Matthew 16. Again, you just got to flip a couple pages to your right. Matthew 25. Jesus is going to preach on this again. Matthew 25, 31. You there? One of you. Okay, we'll be on the screen. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, He will sit on His glorious throne. Are you seeing a parallel to what we just read? Verse 32, All the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on His right and the goats on His left. Then the King will say to those on His right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Yes, somebody's fired up. I love it. Verse 41. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. I I preached on that. Don't miss that. That's why hell was made, not for you, for the devil and his angels. Verse 46, then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Compare that to Revelation 20. 11, when it says, I saw a great white throne, hence 
the term great white throne judgment, with someone sitting on it. Every one of them was there, standing in front of the throne, no matter who they had once been. Entire nations, what we just read about in Matthew 25. The book of life was opened, and anyone whose name wasn't written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. These two passages are talking about the same thing. Judgment in the end times, great white throne judgment. The reward is eternal life in heaven, solely dependent upon you trusting in the grace of Jesus. But then there's a second judgment, the judgment seat of Christ. Where do we get this? It's best illustrated in 2 Corinthians 5.8. I know this is a lot of scripture, but I promise I'll bring it back around. 2 Corinthians 5.8 says... We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord in heaven. So we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Clearly, different kind of judgment. It's not about your eternal reward. You've already got that. This is after you're already there. Have you trusted in Jesus? If so, then he's going to reward your behavior. See, I think there's this misconception going around evangelical circles that you can just behave however you want to because Christ saved you. Maybe, but I'd rather get the reward and live how he's called us to live Instead of trusting in the fact that he'll forgive us, Paul says, should we continue in sin so that grace may abound? Damned if you do. That's what that passage literally means in the Greek. So no, we need to behave rightly. I I can explain it like this. Yesterday and Friday, many of you know, uh, we had a garage sale at the office to earn money for our missions team and and to the group that we're going to send down to Haiti. And in order to get ready for the garage sale, we had to separate some valuable things and invaluable things. Okay, it wasn't good versus bad. It was invaluable versus valuable. Because anytime you do something like this, a garage sale, people are going to just bring junk because they want to get it out of their garage and think that somebody's going to sell it. I know the saying, some man's junk is another man's treasure, right? Well, some of the stuff we got was just junk. Okay, and it needed to go in the trash. And so it was like stained and stinky and somebody brought crickets in there. And I I mean, it was disaster there for a couple days. I almost burned the office down. I'm not even kidding because this thing would not shut up and I couldn't find it. But on some level, the rewards in heaven are based on the same idea. It's not good versus bad. You're not on scales, one outweighing the other. It's valuable and invaluable. God is going to reward you based on what's valuable. Well, what's valuable in heaven? Character, integrity. It's not money, right? The streets are paved in gold. Money's not going to be an issue. That's not what you're rewarded based on. Your Bible talks about fruit. What are your motivations? Fruits defined like this, morality, or excuse me, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness. Mega huge one, self-control. 
Imagine how much different your life would look if you just had some self-control. You could say no to the second round, the dessert table. You could say no to the alcohol. You could say no to another smoke. You could say no to that computer and that website and whatever it is in your life that you're struggling with. Self-control gets rewarded in heaven. Now, you might be wondering, well, based on these rewards, knowing how I've kind of acted and whatever, am I going to be mad that somebody else gets rewarded differently than how I get rewarded? And I, truthfully, I'm not sure. Okay, the Bible doesn't say, but some people that are way smarter than me have weighed in on the subject. So let me just tell you what John Piper says about this. He says, we will be rewarded differently in the age to come, but everyone will be fully happy. There will be no gap between anyone's capacity for happiness on the one hand and anyone's fullness of happiness on the other hand. There will be no frustration over any of these differences, and the rewards in their essence are simply differing capacities for happiness in God. It's not like a Cadillac and a Chevrolet. It's very irrelevant. If you get down to the essence of what would be a good reward in heaven, it's knowing and tasting and having a capacity for greater delights in God and awareness of God and enjoyment of God. What he's getting at is nobody's going to be upset about their rewards. But there will be different rewards and different responsibilities, but we'll all be in complete harmony with God. But God will give some people the ability to enjoy him more fully than those who were not rewarded in the same way. So in fairness, I don't really know what that will look like, but here's what I do know. We should all strive to maximize our rewards. 1 Corinthians 9, 24 run in such a way to get the prize. Well, how can we get the prize? Let's get super practical. What can we do to leave a legacy on earth and be rewarded most fully in heaven? You guys still with me this morning? Number one, live with integrity. Live with integrity. You want to leave a legacy on earth? You want some rewards in heaven? Live with integrity. Proverbs 10.9 Whoever walks in integrity walks securely, but he who makes his rays crooked will be found out. Uh-oh. Hebrew word for integrity there means complete moral innocence. It's about being completed. You can tell it comes from the root word to integrate. Well, anytime you integrate anything, you're putting things together. You're making them more full. You can bring things into wholeness. There's no division. How does that work in your life? To be blunt, to, be, to have integrity, it's lining up with what you say and who you actually are. Your words match your actions. Happens. When that happens, you'll be secure. You won't have to remember any of the lies you told and who you told them to because your words match up with your actions. The Bible just made it clear. Eventually, you will be found out. Some of you, I realize, on your way in, your words aren't matching your actions. You all came in here, and what's inside 
isn't really what's being reflected on the outside. You're a little bit nervous about being found out. On the outside, it's dancing bunnies, eating chocolates on rainbows, right? I mean, we're just fantastic. Hey, pastor. Hey, good to see you. How are you? Oh, great. God is good, right? I mean, so that's how we feel when we come in. But inside, you're just a wreck. You're a disaster. Things are happening. You've got things lingering over here. Maybe it is that you've got this site you like to visit on the web. Maybe you skimmed a little bit extra from the sales you, set, you had this week, just hoping nobody's going to notice. You've got some dark spots, and you're just praying that nobody shines a light on those things because you're hiding them. And you know they're hiding. And when you speak, you say something different than what's actually happening on the inside. Except when you know what is right to do and you don't do it, your life is moving in separate directions. And when your life is moving in separate directions that you know are dangerous and wrong, you'll do what most people will do. And you'll eat. Or you'll do something to encourage yourself and distract yourself. You'll get in the car, you immediately got to turn the radio on. You get home, you got to immediately turn the TV on. At night, you got to grab a book. If you're just sitting, you got to get on the phone. Start scrolling through Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Start faceboxing everybody because you just can't sit. You always got to have something going on. If it's really bad, you'll maybe shop. If it's super bad, you can't afford what you're shopping for. So you just charge it up, go on vacations, whatever it is. It's led you in your life to be bankrupt spiritually and financially. You do these things to distract yourself because you know if you sit quietly with no noise, the discrepancy in what you say and what you do, it will start to bubble up. And you don't want to face it because on some level you realize it's wrong. King Solomon, who wrote this proverb, is reminding us to stop it. Just get real with yourself. Start matching up with what you say and what you do. Get real with God. Somebody here this morning came to hear me say that even though you hate yourself, God still loves you. You're accepted. Why? Because of Jesus. Man, it's so important for you to realize that. Stop faking it. Stop pretending. Start with a fresh start today with integrity. Start lining yourself up with how God designed the world to work. I promise you, His way is way better than yours. Psalm 112.6, for the righteous will never be moved and he will be remembered forever. Now, that sounds pretty cool. You want to leave a legacy on earth? How about never being forgotten? How does that happen? By being righteous, by being honest, by being genuine. Work hard at that. Stop lying. Stop trying to have to remember all the lies. Just make a fresh start today. Don't leave this morning without making yourself whole, integrity, integrate with God. Here's number two. Serve with intensity. Want to leave a legacy on earth? You want to be rewarded in heaven? Serve with intensity. It's how you store up for yourself treasures in earth, or in heaven, excuse me. Get off the bench and into the game. How many of you athletes realize playing the game is way better than watching the game? 
Yes. Anytime I'm watching my favorite team, which is whatever team's playing K-State, then I'm kidding. I'm kidding, guy. I just had to throw one in there, guy. It's my one, okay? My one for this month. That's my only K-State joke. Anytime I'm watching sports, though, I made somebody mad already. I apologize. <laughs> Anytime I'm watching sports, I have to realize in my heart that playing is way better than watching. God is asking you to get in the game. Don't be on the sideline watching anymore. Look at this, Mark 9, 34. They, Jesus and his disciples, came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, Jesus asked them, What were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. If you've had kids, you've had this conversation before. What are you fighting about? You might have had it on the way here, right? Stop fighting. Didn't warm up properly, your shoulders all jacked up. What are you doing? It's what Jesus is showing us right here. Verse 35, sitting down, Jesus said, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. You want to leave a legacy on earth? You have to serve. Well, pastor, I'm just so busy. I can't make time. I can barely keep up with work and the kids and practices and all of that. Just no time for that. I'm, I'm just bound by the book. Okay, don't get mad at me. John 6, 27 says, Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. Which sounds better. Some nasty old compost food that you're working for here on earth? Some fillets in heaven. God says, you want to be rewarded, then you must serve. See, I've said this before. The devil doesn't need to make you bad. He just needs to make you busy. He'll distract you with good things, right things, so that you miss out on the best thing. That's what God's calling you to. You've got to say no to some areas in your life so you can say yes to the best thing. We do it this way. If you are given the option of $1,000 right now today, or $1,000 every week for the rest of your life, which one would you choose? Obviously, the $1,000 every week for the rest of your life. Well, the same thing is true with God. You want to be rewarded now? Or you want to be rewarded for the billions of years that you're going to be eternity? I would choose heaven over the rewards here on earth. How do we do that? Well, you got to get your eyes off you. you got to start serving. Help those in need. Listen, I don't want you serving at New Anthem because I want something from you. This isn't about me. This isn't about this church. This is about you leaving a legacy. I want you serving because I want something for you. I want you to experience these rewards that God has promised you. So I want to give you opportunities to serve. Number three, how can I maximize my reward in heaven? You can give with generosity. Give with generosity. Now, I know what you're thinking. Oh, here we go. Church, I'm going to talk about money. They're just after my money. Every church, always the same story. Money. Easy. I don't want your money. 
okay? God's going to bless us because we're sowing good seeds. And he promised to give us a harvest when you sow good seeds. So that's not what I'm saying right now. I do not want your money so you can hang on to your wallet. I'm simply telling you what the Bible says. And Psalm 112 verse 9 says, They will always be remembered, always be remembered, and greatly praised because they were kind and freely gave to the poor. This isn't about money. It's about you making a difference. This is about God judging those internal motivations that we talked about earlier. He's after your heart. Again, where your heart is, there your treasure's going to be. So again, it's not about money. It's about you being generous. Furthermore, you all have been incredibly generous over our past three years together. So I'm not at all worried about that. But we've given you opportunities to make this easy, to give with generosity through your tithe. You can do that online right now. You can set up a recurring gift so you don't even have to think about it anymore. You can even text to give, to give to a text number. So we've made it super easy and convenient for you in order for you to leave a legacy here on earth, to get your eyes off of you, to see what's happening in the world. Now, another way that you can give with generosity that we've made super easy for you is these something extra to show you God loves you cards. Man, take a handful of these, use these in whatever way you can to just show people that God loves them. Pay for the person in the drive-thru behind you. Whatever it is, bring somebody some cookies. I don't care. I promise you, I've heard stories of this happening. We're not the first church to do this, where a a lady went through a drive-thru at Schlotsky's. Why that was the, the place she decided, because in an email she sent to the church where I got this idea from, she said, I was on my way to kill myself. I just wanted one last meal. And the person in front of me with license plate, that, 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 bought my meal and gave me this card. And the first thing she saw was something extra show me God loves me. Are you kidding me? Eight bucks save somebody's life? I'd say that's an easy trade. You want to leave a legacy on earth? Man, show somebody that God loves them. Simple as that. Give with generosity. Give with generosity. Above and beyond the 10% you should be given to your local church. Here's number four. This might have just been for me. I'm going to be honest. Sometimes God does that, right? I got to preach this message to myself before I can preach it to you all. And I went ahead and put it in your notes because maybe it's for somebody. But here it is. Succeed with humility. Succeed with humility. Sometimes it's hard to remember that we're not the ones who did anything. I'm not the one who created myself in the womb, gave myself some gifts and talents in order to be able to use them later on in life right? God did that. We need to succeed with humility. Proverbs 29, 23. Pride ends in humiliation. Humility brings honor. Proverbs 15, 33. Humility precedes honor. You want honor in your life? Start being humble. True story. Coaching my son's soccer team, okay? That's a whole different story. Don't even get me started on that. You all know how I feel about soccer. But kid, before the soccer game, comes up and says to me, I know who John Cena is. Great. He says, 
He's a wrestler. I said, yeah, man. Now, keep in mind, this is literally the worst soccer player on my team, okay? The least athletic kid maybe in the universe, okay? Horrible at soccer. He says to me, you know what John Cena looks like? And I was like, yeah, man, he looks a lot like me, all racked up and stuff. God is my witness. He said, no, he has abs. Listen, kid, right, you little punk, this is not, this, this is going to end bad for you, okay? No, humility precedes honor. That's what God is teaching me in that moment. You want honor, you start with humility. Thanks for that, Jesus got it, right? Okay, last thing, share Christ with urgency. Share Christ with urgency. Remember our Second Corinthians 5.10 passage, that we will appear before God, the judgment seat of Christ, receive what's due us. Very next verse. Therefore, because of that, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. See, even though God is ultimately the one who saves so that no man can boast, he has entrusted to us this ministry of reconciliation that we will persuade others. It's our responsibility to share Christ. Anybody on that? God has called us to tell people the good news about who Jesus is and what he has done for them. God is concerned about the lost. The Bible says he'll leave the 99 of us in order to go find that one lost sheep. You know what occurred to me this week? Bible says that Jesus is our good shepherd and that we should follow the shepherd no matter what, that he's leading us to good. Well, if he goes after the one, then we're supposed to be following him to the one, convincing them that they're sheep, that they belong with us, that this is the good shepherd that he's taken me in the right direction. Yes? God wants you sharing with urgency love of Christ that he's displayed to you if you're a believer in Jesus. He asks you to follow him and share with urgency. People are dying every single second that we're speaking in here. He says, you need to go make a difference. You want to leave a legacy? I promise you, this church is going to outlive every single one of us. You want to leave a legacy? The man, pour into this place. Pour into some church. I don't care if it's this church. I want you to love church because Christ and God loves his church. It doesn't have to be my church, but I tell you what, I love this place. I'll give my life for it because I know if we do this the right way, if we share Christ with urgency, if we succeed with humility, if we give with generosity, if we serve with intensity, and if we're people of integrity, this thing will be way past us. We'll set up our kids for success and their kids for success. 
This is the most important venture you could ever stake your life into because there are eternal rewards associated with this place. You want to live a legacy on earth? Then wring your life out for the gospel of God, the good news that he sent his son to this earth to die for our sins, even though we sinned against him. And in turn, he tells us to go make disciples. Let them know about the love that he has for them. Amen, somebody? Let's pray. God, thank you for being with us today. Thank you for giving us ways, next steps for us to leave a legacy on earth. God, I know everybody somewhere within their hearts just wants to be remembered for something. God, I pray that you encourage them now. Fill them up with your Holy Spirit. Show them how they can be people who leave a legacy here on earth who do something that matters. God, nothing is more important than changing somebody's eternal destiny. God, I just pray right now you give each and every one of these people an opportunity to share Jesus' love with somebody this week. Whether in word, action, deed, whatever it is, God, give them an opportunity to love someone in Jesus' name. God, if there's anybody here this morning who hasn't lived a life for you, but you're speaking to them right now, as we continue to pray with every head bowed, every eye closed this morning, if you're here and you want to commit your life to Christ for the very first time, the Bible just says confess in your heart of your sin and believe that Jesus has forgiven you. If that's you this morning, I just invite you to pray this prayer in order to confess. Say, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I've sinned. I'm sorry I've fallen short. But I believe in Jesus that he's forgiven me because he died on a cross and rose from the dead. Thank you for saving me. Help me live for you. God, we thank you for that. We thank you for everybody here this morning. Thank you most of all for that free gift of salvation through your son, Jesus. It's in his beautiful name we pray. Amen.